Every year on the second Sunday of Lent, the church gives us uh, this strange and wonderful story of the transfiguration of Jesus. Three of the gospel writers include this in their, their gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Today we hear Matthew's version. And most of the details are the same between the, the three versions uh, of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Jesus takes those three up the mountain with him, uh, Peter, James, and John. Jesus' appearance changes in front of them. His, his, uh, there's a light radiating from him. Uh, Moses and Elijah appear next to him and speak to him. There's a cloud that descends. The voice of the Father is heard from that cloud. This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. And then, quite suddenly, everything extraordinary stops, and then everything goes back to normal, and then Jesus and the disciples go back down the mountain. So, uh, I think uh, there's so much to unwrap here, we just have to focus on a couple details I also think it's important that when we, when we read the scriptures, we, we remember that we're reading from this library, and in order to understand the New Testament, we need the Old Testament. And so there's deliberate allusions here to the Old Testament that help us to understand what's going on in the scene. So I want to bring out a couple parallels with the Old Testament. So if, um, if we think of other scenes where someone would go up the mountain to encounter God, maybe one of the ones that, that um, comes to our mind immediately is Moses. Moses who would go up Mount Sinai in order to encounter God. And uh, there was a meeting tent that they constructed on Mount Sinai and uh, only Moses could go in because there he would speak to God face to face. And uh, it, it was really a terrifying thing for the Israelites when Moses went up the mountain because they would hear all sorts of thunder and loud noises and this dark cloud would descend upon the meeting tent and there would be peals of, of, of thunder and lightning. And then when Moses would leave the meeting tent and come back down, his face would be glowing from that encounter with God. So we see some similarities here. We have a cloud that descends upon the mountain. The voice of the Father is heard speaking from that cloud. And then, of course, Jesus is radiating light. But there's an important difference here. Because when Moses comes down the mountain, it's clear that he's received the light from a source outside of himself. So he's just glowing. It's like my glow-in-the-dark Rosary, that when I set it in the sunlight, it kind of charges up, and then when I can't find it in the middle of the night, when I drop it, well, then I can find it because it's lit up. It continues to glow then from, from the light. But the rosary itself is not the source of light. It, it sucks in that light and then glows. So that's like Moses, but Jesus is not like Moses here. Jesus is actually the source of the light. He's radiating the light. We're told that his, even his clothing becomes dazzling white and is, is radiating this light. So that's one important parallel. 
A second parallel that I, that I think is interesting, it's a lot less obvious, has to do with this, um, this affirmation of, of Jesus as the beloved son of the Father. And the, the term beloved son is not found that many places in, in the gospel or in the Old Testament, except there is a place in the Old Testament where it occurs a number of times in one scene. And that's another scene on a mountain. That's when Abraham brings Isaac up Mount Moriah to be sacrificed. And this is what God says to Abraham that he has to do. He says, take your son, your only one, the one whom you love, and bring him up the mountain to be sacrificed. So if we remember the story, uh, Abraham, in such a heartbreaking way, brings his son up to sacrifice him is about to do that because God told him to do this when the angel stays his hand and then the angel announces that God will provide well Abraham tells Isaac on the way that God's going to provide the lamb for the sacrifice but when the angel says uh, you do not need to sacrifice your son this is this is what he says he says since you did not spare your beloved son I, I know how devoted you are to God. And then just a verse later, the angel gives him this promise that because you, did not dis- because you did not spare your only beloved son, God is going to bless you with a great nation. And so, again, it's, it's a very unique title that's, that is used in the scriptures. We don't see it very much, but here we see it on this mountain where Abraham's referring to his, his own only son, Isaac. And now we have this scene in the Gospels where the father calls his son, Jesus. So we're his beloved son. So we're going to come back to that in a second. But I think now we have to ask the question, okay, well, what does this mean for us? And, and how does this relate back to our own lives? So Luke, in Luke's gospel, he gives us a couple details that Matthew leaves out that I think are, are helpful for us. First of all, Luke tells us what Jesus is bringing, up, bringing the disciples up the mountain uh, for to begin with. He tells us that they're going up the mountain to pray. And uh, I think this is actually really helpful for us, that we see that that this revelation that Jesus gives of his divinity happens in the midst of his prayer. And uh, gosh, I, I, I just think so often in our life, most of the time, 99% of the time, all we see and experience is the human reality of what we're doing. And... Uh, uh, in this event on, on the Mount of the Transfiguration, Jesus reveals the supernatural reality behind the natural. So we see Jesus go to pray, and normally, I'm sure the disciples saw him pray countless times. I bet they didn't see anything like this. I bet normally it looked like Jesus was just sitting there maybe starting to fall asleep. He just looked like a man who was trying to meditate. I bet that's what he looked like most of the time. But here, 
it's like we get a glimpse of the supernatural reality that's at the foundation of, of the natural. We see what's really happening to Jesus when he goes to pray. That he experiences the Father's love for him, the Father's affirmation with him, and in that communion of love that it's the, that's the Holy Spirit, there's, there's this inbreaking of light that fills his whole being. So we could say that this is actually what happens when Jesus goes to pray. We just can't see it because we see the natural. It's good news for us because when I go to pray, I don't know what you, but I don't know about you, but I, uh, what I experience is 99.9% the natural, my own distractions, my own dryness of prayer, my, my own humanity. It's really encouraging for me to see that when I, when I go to pray, that um, this is actually what happens, that there's a supernatural reality occurring that, that isn't immediately uh, observable to me, that I, I don't experience with my senses, but Jesus reveals this to us to encourage us to be able to see the, the supernatural reality behind the natural. This is actually what we believe in the sacraments. I always talk about this when I'm preparing someone for the sacraments, that when, when, a, couple, when a couple brings their baby to be baptized here, for instance, right at this baptismal font, all we see are the appearances. So, the, so we see the parents bringing the baby to the font. The baby herself feels that water... Um, flow over her head, hears this voice of the priest saying the words of baptism. So we, all, all we are able to experience is the natural level. But if it were only natural that was happen- happening with it, who cares? It's not why we do it. We don't do it for the sake of the ritual. We don't do it for the sake of getting everybody together for a barbecue afterwards. We do it because we believe that there is a supernatural reality that's invisible, that we don't see, that we don't hear, but that's occurring simultaneously with the outward action. It's how each of the sacraments work. Something's going on in the outside that we see and hear, like this mass, but what we believe is that the invisible reality is God himself breaking in and doing something wonderful. It's just, and we believe that in faith. It's just not accessible to our senses. So that's one thing I think is, that's helpful for us as we see Jesus transfigured and we hear the voice of the Father come down and affirm Jesus as his beloved son. This is what happens for us too in our prayer, even when all we experience is the distraction and dryness. So lesson for us, we just got to show up. Show up to prayer. We might be distracted or dry. It's not all that, that's not all that's happening when we pray. Uh, God communicates his love for us and affirms us and fills us with, with his light, even if our senses don't experience that directly. So the second thing that I think is really helpful for us, this has more to do now with, with the connection with Abraham and the sacrifice of Isaac. Jesus going up the mountain in light of that sacrifice of Isaac on Mount Moriah, also 
the fact that what, what happens right before this in Matthew's gospel? Jesus tells his disciples that he's going to suffer and die. And the disciples are very disturbed by this. Now Jesus brings them up, brings them up, up the mountain. And what, what does he do? He transfigures himself in front of them. He shows them his glory. What does this tell us? That the cross and the glory cannot be separated. Even as um, Jesus walks the, the road to the cross, and that the beautiful Lenten devotion of the stations of the cross shows us this so well. Each, each of these painful stations, Jesus falls. He, um, the, Simon the Cyrenius is forced to help Jesus take up his cross. He's stripped of his garments and, and nailed to the cross. But as Jesus undergoes his passion, what's happening? God is being glorified. And Jesus is being glorified. Even though we don't see it, we see misery and suffering and pain. What does God see? Glory. And of course, that's, that's the cross. What do we look at when we, what do our senses experience when we look at Jesus on the crucifix? We see um, a, a really humiliated figure. Uh, but what do we know in faith to be there? Love. The glory of God in his love shining forth through that cross. The cross and God's glory cannot be separated. It's good news for us. Uh, Yesterday I visited Father Bob Mraz, uh, who's um, just had knee surgery. And um, we're just talking, knee replacement surgery. We're just talking about how... God gives us these crosses in our life. And his, his cross right now is that his recovery is not going as he was hoping it would. Uh, it's painful. takes a long time. It's, it's like a, it's his, he had his surgery on Ash Wednesday. So this is like his Lent that he gets to live out, suffering in this way. But, but God gives us the cross not as an end, but as a means to an end. And the end is glory. And that's what the transfiguration helps us to see. That the cross, the whole point of the cross is to lead us to and prepare us for the glory of God. And God wants us to believe that and to know that. That's why he revealed himself in this way to his disciples so that when they would see him suffering as he walked the way of the cross, humiliated, dying on the cross, that they wouldn't be discouraged, but they would think back to the glory that they saw on the mountain and have hope. Hope that God was was going to be glorified through all of this pain and through all of this suffering. How much would it change our lives if we could see our own crosses in this way? If we could see them not as not as some miserable end, but rather as a means, a means to the glory that God wants to give us. Even God glorifying himself and us through the sufferings that he's giving us. We should ask for that grace to be able to see our crosses in this way. We would bear them so differently. Uh, We might even do as Jesus asks us to do in the gospel, which is, to embrace our cross, 
not just to accept it begrudgingly, but to embrace it because God's glory is being worked out, achieved in us and through us. Let's ask Jesus today to help us to to bear our crosses and to see them in a new light, in the light of God, who makes his glory shine forth from the human body of Jesus. Let's ask him to show us his glory too through the very sufferings that we experience.